Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. You're listening to a special edition of the Happy Hour Jamie Ivy podcast called Your Last Decade. I thought it'd be fun to talk to a few friends about what life was like for them 10 years ago. How has their life changed? What did the year 2010 bring them? And what has the last decade brought them? And also, what do they hope for in the next 10 years? Today's Your Last Decade is with my friend, Becca Harris. Now, Becca was a guest on The Happy Hour way back in 2014 for episode number 23, you guys, forever ago. Becca is a real-life friend who is one of the children's directors at the Austin Stone Community Church, where my husband and I go and serve. She's a single gal who in 2010 was at the very beginning of learning to be a part of the foster care world. That prompting led her to foster and then to adopt two preteen boys who are now both adults. Becca's last decade is full of moments that she had no way of knowing what happened. I love when I ask her, what would she do different? What would she do more of? I hope and pray that we don't hear her answer and and think that it sounds very churchy, but it is very real to Becca and to me as I look back on parts of my last decade as well. Friends, I want to ask you, how are you doing? We are in the thick of shelter-at-home orders and seeing so many people impacted by this current pandemic. I want you to know that I've been praying for you all, and many of you have shared your prayer needs with me via social media and email. It is an honor to be in prayer for you, for your family, for our communities, for our world. Connecting you through this time has been such a gift, and I hope it has been something that is bringing joy to you as well. Please know that God is still good. He is still in control. He is still for you. He still loves you, even when things seem really hard. Friends, we are also 10 days away from starting our virtual community Bible study, which is Your Story Matters. I really hope that you'll join me and my friends as we call out the lies that keep us from sharing the story that God has written over and through our lives. Visit jamieivy.com for all the details. When you pre-order the study now for $19, you will get the sixth lesson study for the lowest price it will ever be. Plus, you're gonna get a bonus teaching with myself and my husband, Aaron, discussing how to share your story with your spouse. Each of the six lessons include video teaching from me, a video interview with a woman just like you and I who has walked through believing lies about her story and how she's overcome them through the gospel. And then there's a PDF download for you to work through on your own. And our prayer and hope is that then you would gather with friends probably virtually right now, and go through your answers and discuss how you are going to start to trust God for your story. We're creating an online community on Facebook so that we can connect with one another. I will be there live often as well. I believe stories change the world. I believe that we need your story to be a part of that world changing. Check out jamieivy.com to pre-order your Bible study today. Until then, here is my conversation with my friend Becca, who has an amazing story that when looking at it through the lens of the gospel is a beautiful God story. Here's her last decade. Uh, Hello, Becca. Welcome to Your Last Decade, the special edition of the Happy Hour, where we talk about your last decade. Welcome, Becca Harris. Thank you, Jamie. It's good to be here. 
You know, Becca, I had to look back because I was like, I really think I interviewed Becca for the happy hour. And I interviewed you and our mutual friend, Marish Bush. We sat in my house around my uh, dining room table in my old house that I lived in. And it was episode number 23, which is Ah. forever ago. (laughs) Way early on in your career. Way early on in my career, way early on in your life and what was going on. Okay, so your last decade, Becca, first of all, introduce uh, everyone to you. If they didn't hear you on episode number 23, which you should go back and listen to Becca and Maris on number 23. We talk a lot about foster care, but introduce yourself to everybody so they know who they're listening to. Yeah, my name is Becca Harris. Um, I am a mom to a single mom to uh, two adult sons. Um, they are 19 and 22. Um, and I work at the Austin Stone as a kids director at our St. John congregation. And I've been on staff there for 12 years. So I've seen a lot of change in our church over the last decade even. So for fun, I like to cause mischief and hilarity, but I also DJ on the side, which is really fun. So she's actually DJed our last happy hour live event. Um, so much fun to have you there, <laughs> DJ Becca. Okay, question real quick. When do we start calling our children adults? 18? I think that's what I've resolved, 18. Whether they act like it or not, that, okay. that's legally, they can be arrested as adults. So I figured we start calling them adults. That's true, that's true, that's true. Okay, okay, I got a little bit longer, but <laughs> even if they don't act like it, that's a good idea. Which it's crazy that you can, you know, you can vote at 18. Yeah. But you can still act a fool at 18 as well. So very true. Very true. No prefrontal cortex, but they think they have it and they know everything. So that's exactly right. This is exactly right. Well, I'll be calling you a couple of years when I have all these adult boys. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So this is your last decade, which is just looking back on where we were 10 years ago, what God's done in our past 10 years. And I was thinking about you the other day because I was like, man, Becca has been through a lot in the last decade. Your life has changed so much in the last decade, things that you probably never would have imagined or would have ever written down on paper. And so take me back to what your life looked like in 2010. Well, in 2010, I was single um, and lived uh, with some of my best friends. I actually moved out of a house of roommates, uh, a girl roommates, and moved in with some of my best friends, Todd and Olivia, and their two kids at the time. And because I knew I was going to do something probably related to foster care. And so I thought, I'll move in with my friends, save some money. I was working at the Austin Stone. We only had one congregation back then. We were about to open our St. John congregation, which is kind of crazy. And so, yeah, just honestly, footloose and fancy free in 2010. So, But at the time, you probably thought this is a crazy life, but little did you know. Now, you moved into them because you knew you were going to do something in foster care. Can you remind Mm -hmm. me of when, what year it was that you and I went to that conference together? I think it might have been 2009. Okay, so. 2009, yeah. So the year before, 2009, you and I went with a handful of people from our church to, what was the name of the conference? Together for Adoption. Together for Adoption, a conference in Nashville. And do you remember the session that you and I sat in together? Uh, I remember sitting in a foster care session. There was like a panel and there was a particularly a woman on this panel that had graduated out of the foster care system, had never been adoptable. And I think you and I both were like in tears. I feel like we were sitting on the floor even because we there was like no floor. room yep. Yep. in this breakout. And I I mean, we were just like, where does she go for holidays? Like what, what does her family life look like? You know, all the things we take for granted that we get to do for family and she didn't have that. And I just remember that the Lord definitely used that to like spark an interest in foster care for me. So... 
Okay, so 2010, you're living with the Ingstrom, saving money. And then when, mm-hmm. tell me when foster care even comes, besides that, you know, the conference that we went to in 2009 yeah. was on your radar, but when did it actually for real get on your radar? You think you're going to walk down this path? In 2010, I started doing just kind of research on what it would look like. Um, you know, I think our church was slowly kind of progressing that way. Um, and so I just kind of was looking into, you know, getting babysitter certified or respite care certified. And I just kind of felt the Lord nudging me in the whole process. Like, Hey, I want you to do the full thing. And I thought, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm connected to a lot of families at our church. And so I could get foster care certified. And then if kids become adoptable, I can just connect them with families in our church. This is great. I've got some time. I've, you know, I got some expendable income. I could totally help. And so that's what I thought in 2010. So, <laughs> and then how, what, what, what led you to your boys? Let's go there. Yeah. So I go ahead and in 2011, get uh, certified, um, get, do my home study, do all the classes required for foster care, all the inspections and all the tests and all that stuff. And, um, I had set during that process a, you know, I was like, okay, I want like one kid preschool, elementary school age, because that's the age of all my friends' kids. And so this will be great. And, you know, I would need them to go to school while I go to work, that kind of stuff. But in the process, because while I was doing my home study, they were like, hey, would you consider a sibling set? And I was like, oh, I mean, I, I'll be open to it, but I, I really just want one. And they were like, what about expanding your age range, zero to 18? And I was like, for emergency placements. Like if a kid has nowhere to go in the middle of the night, sure, I can take a teenager, whatever. And then they were like, what about foster to adopt? And I was like, well, I don't really plan to adopt, but they were like, well, what if something happens? And I was like, yeah, sure. If something crazy happens, sure. Just go ahead and license me all, but I want one like preschool and elementary school age kid. And so I got a couple calls here and there about placements and none of them worked out either. Uh, by the time I was able to find a preschool for a kid to go in, another family had said yes, or other family had stepped forward or whatnot. And then in November uh, of 2011, I got a call um, from a friend of mine who worked at the agency, not from actually person who did the placements. And she was like, I've got a special case. And I was like, keep talking. She's like, there's two of them. There's, you know, one that's in the age range. And I was like, one, one in the age range. And she uh, then goes on to tell me about the boys. And long story short, another missional community, a small group in our church had already been babysitting these boys. She'd already reached out to them. And they agreed that if the boys moved into my house for foster care, that they would help babysit. And so I was like, okay, first placement, two boys, 11 and 14. This is nothing what I imagined, but hey, foster care short term. Let's move forward, you know? Anything for like a week, you know? Yes. I can do even a couple months. It'll be fine. It'll be like a story in my life, you know? And so um, so the boys moved in December 16th, uh, 2011. So December 16th, 2011. Okay. So you are now, you have gone from, I would like it, one elementary school child <laughs> to two preteen, one teenager, one preteen boys uh, just mm-hmm. for a couple of months. Now, we know the end of the story. We should let everyone know the end of the story. These are your boys. Like these, yep. these are your sons now. These are my um, sons. But it has been a, I don't want to put words in your mouth and I'll let you tell us how the, you know, nine years have been. It's been probably hard years at yep. the Harris house. Um, and, and I think that's okay to say, that's okay to say, right? Yep. That's totally accurate. So, so I have a question for you before we even get into like what the last 10 years have looked like. I, um, Aaron and I have 
we've had we've had this conversation before and i think that anyone could fill in the blank with anything and ask yourself this question had you known what you know now what would that <laughs> phone call have looked like oh man okay well if i just Without saw the end for spiritual yeah 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 if i just saw the end that it was going to be like hey it's going to be this I think I, I honestly think I would have been like, Mm-mm, I didn't sign up for that. Like, I feel like I can only do one. This seems crazy. And so I would have said no. Now, if I could see all the story frames along the way, I would like to think maybe I would say yes. But I always, when people ask that question, I always say too, like, if you asked me if I wanted to go do it all over again, I would say no. Um, not that I don't love what I have now. I just don't want to live through it again. I always say like, it's so like God to not let us see that. I mean, like, yes. we can't see the hard stuff or none of us would say yes. I mean, you can ask someone if they've had a hard marriage. Would you say yes if you knew what was happening? They'd probably be like, no, but they're so grateful for where they are. Yes, like, just like exactly. Said, like, I would not have signed up to go through that. And yep. let's be honest, like I always want to be super clear here. Our kids wouldn't either. Like, you know, yep. like. Yeah, no one. This is not a choice that anyone had here. For whatever situation brought them to foster care, for my children that are adopted, whatever situation brought them there, no one signs up for that. No one's yep. like, is like, yes, please let me be <laughs> abandoned or whatever. So, yep. um, it's hard on everybody. So, I always think that's interesting. Is we get on the other side, or like maybe kind of limp onto the other side <laughs> and say, I would never want to do that again. You know, yeah. but it's God's kindness that He doesn't show us that at the beginning, yep. or we wouldn't yep. have done it. Um, Okay. So foster care with your boys. Um, Mm -hmm. I just read a book. I'm going to show it to you. Hold on. I just read a book uh, in this quarantine time by Gina Thomas. It's called Separated by the Border. Okay. A mother, a foster mother, and a migrant child's 3,000 mile journey. And uh, she is a foster mom and she was fostering a daughter who was here in America, born in Honduras. Child was taken away from their parent crossing the border. Got it. Okay. Yep. It's so good. But she talks a lot about um, foster care and a lot of this whole, um, she uses the word, which you, you're familiar with the word. I I think maybe my listeners will be as where this, this like white savior mentality of, yep. I'm going to come in and I am going to, and she even talks about how we don't even sometimes realize we think this, like, yep. It's just because we have privilege and we have status and we have power because of Lots of things. And so I want to ask you a question. You didn't even know I was going to ask you this. <laughs> Have you had to journey through that, those kind of thinkings in these last nine years? Yeah, definitely. I think for me, like like you were saying, it's not like I thought that going in. And I think even to some degree, I had a little bit of sobriety to be like, hey, like I'm just helping. I'm not saving. But in my like experience, there were ways that unbeknownst to me, I was trying to like rescue, Mm -hmm. save, make, um, you know, make a situation more what I was comfortable with rather than entering into a situation and helping where they were at. And, you know, I feel like pretty early on, even, uh, in foster care, uh, my friend, um, was going through a similar journey of fostering teenagers. And we would text back and forth and be like, is this what it's like to go to the nations? You're like eating different food with them, speaking a different language, learning slang we didn't know. I was learning about foods that I didn't ever eat before. I had never eaten a taki in my life. And suddenly that was hot Cheetos and Takis were like staples in our house. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a lot more fried chicken. Um, and I think for me, it was like, oh, like I, I didn't, I just didn't think about things like that. Like, I don't yeah. want to just like bring them into my culture. I want to like merge our cultures And then I think also at the same time, I thought, oh, I'll also fix some things for them along the way and realize there's, I have no part in the fixing. 
Yeah. So, yeah. What has been in the last nine years as becoming a, a mom to, you know, preteen, teenage boys overnight, which you didn't actually become a mom overnight. You can tell the story of how that happened after this. But also what has been one of the like, would you say hands down the hardest thing that you've had to walk through in the past 10 years? You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. I think the hardest thing, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it. I think in my mind, honestly, I didn't know what was coming. Um, And so there was like a season, particularly with my oldest, that was just really hard. His senior year, as he's growing into um, adulthood and freedom, you know, I think it was just a really hard time. And um, I know a lot of parents fear that. So when I share what like happened here, I feel like I want to, you know, tell people we also have a lot of trauma in our household. So this isn't going to be everybody's senior year experience. I do think there's some normality to it, but I think ours was exacerbated by trauma and figuring out who he was. And so, but yeah, second semester senior year just really took a deep dive into the party scene, which led into a deep dive into the, the drug scene. And he hit it for a while, bounced in and out for a while and even went off to, to college, but then found it there came back and then found it again. And so there was just a lot of ups and downs. And I just had literally no idea. I mean, people kept being like, what are you going to do? Or how do you help? And I would literally be like, I don't know. And I just remember being like paralyzed. I remember lots of nights sitting on my couch with my youngest because he's also experiencing this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm trying to parent him through it, but also parent my oldest and take care of myself. And there would be lots of nights of like eating cookie dough and watching Parks and Rec because I just didn't know what to do. And, um, you know, we had people that came alongside and and helped where they could, but I didn't even know how to ask for help and they didn't know how, how I needed help. And, and so that was like a really, really hard, probably year and a half. And I don't think we're out of it. 
Um, he's clean and, and doing much better, but there's still ups and downs and, and patterns and things. But I think I just didn't know um, how much like I think so much of his journey into drugs was a coping mechanism that he needed figuring out who he was and the things he wanted and the felt needs he had that he hadn't been able to express. And I didn't know that. And also, even if I had, if he doesn't know those things and isn't willing to yeah. seek help on those, there's nothing I can do, which was another hard lesson for me to learn. Yeah. Um, and so that was just really hard, a really hard season. How is that walking through that season? I think that what we're about to talk about right now, anyone could, a lot of people could relate to whether their children came to them through foster care, domestic adoption, biological grandkids, whatever. How is that as being a, a single mom mm-hmm. and B working in ministry? Yeah. Um, I, I always say, obviously the Lord knew what he was doing, but thankful for our church and working in ministry. I think I've fought a lot on the, wow, my kids doing all the things everyone fears. And also I work for a church. So it looks like I, do I even disciple my kids at home? Do I even try? So I think I wrestled with that a lot and it took me out of being as productive as I wanted to be at work, but our church was so gracious in coming alongside and supporting me in that season. There were several periods of time I thought, I'm going to get called into a meeting and they're going to be like, hey, since you're not able to do so much because home life is so draining right now, which we understand and pray for, but we're going to have to let you go. I really thought that would be a conversation. Mm -hmm. It never was. They were always so gracious and so helpful. Um, And then I think as single mom, I really multiple times found myself like almost shaking my fist at the Lord. Like if you would just bring someone to help, like, Mm. I think if these boys had a steady male figure, a steady father in their life, Mm. some of these needs, it seems to me wouldn't be as bad, or there would be someone else to help tag team them. Or when I'm exhausted, there would be someone else that would be like, Hey, I can step in here. And so I really had to wrestle with the Lord. Like I was like, I, in my mind, know you're good. But um, sometimes how I feel doesn't feel like you're good. It feels like you kind of forgot about us or you left us uh, without a tool that we needed. And I just kind of felt like the Lord, as I felt so inadequate and empty and often like I literally don't know what to do. I just kept feeling him be like, I know, but I do. Like, Mm. I chose you. I chose this situation for you and the boys. It's for the best. I just need you to trust me, even though it doesn't feel that way. There's no end in sight. Uh, I think that was hard for me. I also was like, if you could give me a deadline, like, hey, this will be over by August. And I'll be like, all right, I can pull up my bootstraps. We're good. But the fact that it kept going up and down, up and down, up and down was really hard for me. And so I just felt like, you know, and I don't really know a lot of other single parents. And so it was like, you know, people were trying to help and step in where they could, but it felt hard that not everyone could empathize on the level I wanted. Right, yeah. But the Lord was also kind to be like, Hey, but like you have me who is able to empathize with all of your weakness. Like Jesus came and he was rejected. He was lived a hard life. He did these things. So like lean into me. I know these things more than you're like looking for someone else to yeah. swoop in and help. Uh-huh. Um, and I honestly, pretty ugly sometimes. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent ugly. Yeah. I mean, it was like an ugly stumbling walk. I feel like my journal, if you go back and read it, you're like, was I even a believer during this time? <laughs> so, yeah, but that's, I mean, yeah. I think that we all have seasons where we look and go, God, this doesn't feel like the best plan. Like I just, yeah. I trust you. And like my head knows that this feels like the suckiest thing that you could have ever done for us. 
And that's hard. But you did see like some tangible ways that God provided for you and your boys. Like what were some of those things that you just like, this is only God? Well, first of all, like from the get-go, I kind of mentioned this when I was talking earlier, there was a missional community, a small group at our church who was all licensed to babysit. And so from the get-go, as the boys moved in, the Lord was like, I'm already bringing a community of like 15 to 20 people who are going to be active and watching your boys and helping with your boys. And so at times when I felt alone and I was like, what are you doing? I was like, wait, you actually have provided people. I need mm-hmm. to see that. Yeah. And then honestly, financially, I just couldn't afford, especially once the state payments stopped for foster care, I couldn't afford to continue on our lifestyle. Like I was just, I couldn't save. I couldn't. You know, I was like, I can make our budget work, but I can't save for a new car or a house or these things and felt really stuck. And times, honestly, the bills weren't even going to be met. And every time God would put on somebody's heart to give us money um, or we have been given three cars, like given three cars, which is crazy to me. In fact, just a couple months ago, I was freaking out about finances and I'm driving uh, a Volvo that was given to me. And I'm like freaking out and, and all this stuff. And I just felt like the Lord was like, would you please look at what you're sitting in? Like, uh-huh. I gave this to you. I will yeah. provide for you. And then, yeah, I, you know, was like, I'd love to get into a house that's ours that I own, but I just can't, it's expensive here in Austin and I can't yeah. get a down payment. And I work in ministry and I'm a single parent and um, we felt so defeated. And the Lord rallied some people um, and they gave $35,000 toward a down payment for me. I and can't so, even believe that. I did not know that. Yeah. It, and it happened so fast. Like I was meeting with my friend, Justin, who was a realtor and he'd been talking to a guy about a loan and what would it take for me to make it affordable? And I was just super, super defeated. I was like, I don't have any more expendable income. I don't, you know, I only have this much in savings and I could get a loan, but it was making my mortgage payment like way more than I could afford each uh-huh. month. And, um, And so he went behind my back sneakily and shared with some people the situation. And then he called me back and was like, Hey, I got 35 more. And I was like 3,500 thinking that was a very generous amount. And he was like thousand Becca, $35,000. And I was like, I like started crying in the car. And so, um, yeah. So the house we live in today was another way that God's like, Hey, I'm taking care of you. I'm with you in this journey all along the way. Um, and so, yeah, those have been constant Ebenezer's for me. So I love Ebenezer's. If you looking back on the past 10 years and especially your last nine years with your boys, what is something that you look back and go, okay, looking back, I can see that I should have done this differently, or I would change this, which here's the deal about looking back is I I like looking back. I know you mentioned that you're not a big, like you don't look back that much. I like looking back because for me, it does this. It goes, okay, here's where I see like God provided, like you just listed, like those are great things to remember. And then I can also see sometimes like, okay, here's what I would have done differently. And I don't do that in like a man, I suck as a person. I'm so full of shame. If only, no, I do like, okay, going forward, Next time a trial hits, a tragedy hits, I'm going to remind myself, A, God was faithful, and B, this is how I want to kind of handle it differently. So what is that for you? Yeah, I think two things come to mind when you're asking me that question. And one is I'm such a doer and I'm like, move forward. I want to fix a situation. Honestly, think I tried to do so much to fix things for my boys or create a perfect environment for them, which are good things. But looking back, I'm like, the lessons, especially that I've learned now walking through really hard things with them is that I wish that I honestly, and this is going to sound very like 
you know, super spiritual, but it's what I wish I would. And I wish I had prayed more because the times, you know, when things like my oldest was going through is that really hard year and a half that I had nothing to do, but pray. And those are when I felt the closest with the Lord. And it's actually when I started seeing most of the change in me, Uh but then also in them, um, rather than when I'm trying to prepare for, okay, if he comes home and he's like this, here's how I'm going to handle each situation. Mm -hmm. And it might be this, and this is what I'll tell Jeremiah. And this is what we'll do. And this is what, you know, I would like swing to my, yeah, yeah, I'd swing to my Enneagram six wing and plan out for all the scenarios that could happen. And I, some, I just honestly felt the Lord being like, sometimes he would be like, Hey, we just pray and I will give you the right wisdom and the words. And I'll give you the eyes to see how I'm working or the heart to trust me when you can't. And so that's a really big one for me. And then looking back, you know, again, it's not that I regret this because I was drowning in learning how to parent with trauma and all these things. But I just kind of wish I had done some more like rite of passage stuff with my boys. I mean, they were teenagers when I got them. So that's like a perfect time, like 13, 16, 18, and now 21. And just spoken maybe some more things into them, I think would, would be really, would have been really cool. I wish I had done that. And so now looking forward, I'm like, okay, but I still do have like you know, there's one's about to be 20 and one's about to be 24. So it's like, when, when, what other milestones can I set or what other patterns can I do with them yeah. looking forward? Yeah. You know, it's funny how you mentioned that. And you said, but you were drowning. I too look back on the first handful of years that are, that we were a family of six. And I use the word drowning a lot. And I think all of us were drowning. Like I, you know, I say this all the time on the show is that about six years ago, God was so kind to show me that it wasn't just hard for me, but it was also hard for my children. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things I have am thankful that God showed me over the past decade um, is that this woe is me did not work anymore. You know, yep, like, okay, yep. everyone's having a hard time around here. But yep. I laugh sometimes, Becca, because we'll be at the dining room, we'll be eating dinner or something, and we'll mention something that happened in those first two years and like a life thing, nothing bad. And my kids will be like, Thank you. Like trauma makes you forget things. And so I'm like, just thank you that there are there are a few <laughs> memories from those first two years because it was not my A game, is all I gotta say about that. Yep. I was yep. not on my A-game. I was drowning. We're all drowning. Yep. Everyone's drowning. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. And when you're drowning, you do crazy things, you know? Yep. And so that's kind of how it felt. But yes. Uh, okay. So that was your last decade, which I'm thankful for you sharing it because even though, like, we have trauma in our family, but even though people, they may not have any trauma, their family, they might have made three babies and, you know, just going about their day. But I think um, parenting has a lot of expectations that we bring to the table. And when they don't happen, we feel like a bad parent or like yep. God forgot us or like we, our kids are bad or things like that. And I am really thankful for this conversation because I think it's a reminder that we can do everything that we think to the best of our ability and yep. our kids make their own choices. Yep. And um, Aaron tells me all the time, he's like, we can't save our kids and we can't damn them to hell. Like it is, yep. we will do our best and they will be responsible for themselves as well. So yep. someone might need to hear that today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, no, it's a, I think it's a burden that we sometimes pick up as parents um, because true. we care so much about our kids and we want to yeah. do it right. And we know it's a big thing that God's entrusted us with. We don't yeah. take it lightly. But when we swing over to the side where we feel like it is dependent on us is when we really begin to err, um, you know, instead of it's the power of God through us, we're just ambassadors Mm -hmm. to our kids um, and he's working in each of our kids individually. And so I can pick up that thing of like, I'm personally responsible that these kids love Jesus and don't act a fool in public or at home. So (laughs) (laughs) we'll see how well that works out for me. It's not by the way. Um, Okay. So Becca, that was your last 10 years. What do you look forward to the next 10? 
Man, uh, it's kind of fun to like dream. I mean, who knows, right? I mean, in 2010, I would have never said this was what I look forward to or dream about. But as I think, especially in relation to my family, just thinking like, hey, my sons could likely get married in the next 10 years. I mean, I could get married in the next 10 years, if we're (laughs) honest, but I've been hoping for that for a long time. So we'll see. I could become a grandparent, which is crazy to me. I'm only 38, but hey, you know, by the time I'm 48, I could be a grandparent. I know. Right. right. That's right. Who is grandma? Um, (laughs) And so I think that's fun. And it's just kind of fun to dream about even what Like I love our church and love what I get to do for our church, but even just to dream as our church continues to grow, are there things that I could be a part of in family ministries that would help our church, you know, grow or help families. And so, yeah, we'll kind of see what God does. And so put this in a a time capsule and see what I say. In 10 years, see if we took a happier in 10 years. (laughs) Well, Becca, I'm I'm grateful for you uh, in ministry and as a friend and just being a voice uh, that can say, this has been really hard, but. God has always been faithful, even when it felt like he wasn't there. And so you are a walking example of that. And I think as people, we need to look and look around and be like, okay, I can look at Becca and think it was hard for her. And she still says at the end that God was faithful the whole time. So thank you for that. Yeah. Thanks for letting me share. You guys, I love hearing Becca's story of her last decade, that she is content and trusts the Lord with where he has her, though she would have never imagined that this is what her life would look like. And I think a lot of us could say that, you guys. My prayer is that we would take away the encouragement from Becca to be more prayerful, trusting and believing that God is in the work of bringing the changes that we are looking for. He is our hope, our strength, and wise counsel as we look forward to our next 10 years. Friends, thanks for listening to this special edition of the Happy Hour, Your Last Decade. Our hope in these shows is that you too can reflect back on your last decade. No matter how old you were 10 years ago, we want you to look back and see what God has done in your life and where he has brought you. How have you persevered? How have you screwed up? What would you do differently? And what are you so stinking proud of? Also, looking back always causes me to look forward. Friends, what do you hope to see in your next decade? Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper, and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Aki Slockers. The whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. We'd love it if you enjoyed this show, if you would share it with your friends. Word of mouth is the number one way that people find out about our podcast, and we thank you for that. Friends, have a great day. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here next Wednesday for the regular happy hour. Thank you.